Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. That is James 417. Guys, welcome back to the show. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, but just want to remind you, leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this and share this around. Share this with people. Don't keep us a secret. Also, we are donation-based. So guys, if you want to hop in on this, if you want to make sure we can keep creating content like this that is giving you and the people around you value, go to undaunted.life backslash donate to check that out. And I have already mentioned it over and over and over, and I'm going to keep doing it. Origin Maine, we are partnered with them. They make the best jujitsu geese on the planet. They make boots, they make work boots, they make jeans, they've got hunting gear, they've got all kinds of stuff on the origin side, and then on the Jocko Fuel side, they've got the energy drinks, the supplements, the greens, they've got creatine now. Guys, you can go to originmain.com and check out their products, and you can get a discount if you use our promo code, and the promo code is just undaunted, so use the promo code undaunted at checkout to get 10% off your order at originmain.com, that will be in the show notes. So guys, big episode today, okay? Because I had to like change this episode like seven times because breaking news became breaking, breaking news. And then there was stuff that I wasn't aware of that I was made aware of. And I'm kind of looking at my calendar of events, but this is the last quick hitters of 2022. Okay. We're not going to get back to doing, you know, new cycle stuff or anything on the quick hitter side of things until probably like mid January, 2023. Okay. So we're going to hit a ton of it today. And the reason is Next week, we're releasing three interviews, okay? And then the week after that, that's the last week of the year. And so that's when we typically do our wrap-up. So we're going to do our best podcast of the year, best books of the year, and then we're going to do a 2022 wrap-up. And so, and then the first week of January, I think we've got a whole bunch of stuff already uh, planned and already in the books and in the queue. And so we're not going to get to a lot of stuff for a very, very long time. And man, just the last two or three weeks, there have been a lot of things that have come up. And so we're just going to empty the tank. I've got literally a note section on my phone that says quick hitters. And anytime I see something that's even vaguely interesting that I may want to talk about on the show, I put it in there. And I'm just emptying emptying it okay i'm going into 2023 with a fresh uh you know blank sheet of paper or you know digital it's on my phone but you get the idea we're going to go into it and then we're going to just check out the what's got you know what's going to come for 2023 and all the news stories and different things like that so today on the podcast we're going to cover a lot of ground so let me give you a little bit of a rundown right now and then we'll get into some other things here so in our quick hitter segment, which is the entire thing today, pretty much. Radical resurrection denying Reverend Raphael Warnock wins re-election in Georgia. Kirsten Cinema leaving the Democratic Party. Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky being named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. A major streaming platform allowing Casey Anthony to profit off of allegedly not killing her daughter, Kaylee. The first openly trans Navy SEAL deciding to quote-unquote detransition. The so-called Respect for Marriage Act passing the United States House of Representatives and being signed into law by co-president Biden. Child rapists in California serving prison sentences of less than a year. California Governor Gavin Newsom exploring reparations for the state's black residents. Loudoun County superintendent and spokesman being criminally indicted for covering up a rape of one of their students. The continued release of the Twitter files. Shark Week being super duper racist, apparently. A $40,000 a year Chicago private school organizing an event to let their students play with dildos and butt plugs. Yes, that's a real story. The man potentially responsible for the Lockerbie bombing in 1988 is arrested and now in U.S. custody. The United States women's national soccer team stealing money from the U.S. men's national soccer team. NBC News going full anti-natalist. And the government of New Zealand kidnapping a child because his parents requested no vaccinated blood for their baby's surgery. Yeah. 
We're literally going to cover all that on the show today. This might be a new personal record. This might be the longest solo episode that I've ever had in my entire life. But guys, I've got Honey ready to go. I've got Hot Tea. Shout out to the Independence Fund and Sarah Verardo for shooting us this so that we can drink tea and keep the vocal cords going good to go. We've got throat lozenges, guys. And if you stick around until the very, very end, I've got a very, very quick story about me quitting during a jujitsu role here recently. And I learned a little something about myself. So I would like for you to stick around for that. Quick message before we get into something that's absolutely going to make my skin crawl. Uh, I prepped this episode before this happened, but I just want to give a rest in peace to Mike Leach and, um, you know, uh, sending my prayers to his family and to his loved ones. He was the coach of Mississippi State in the SEC college football, uh, formerly the coach of Washington State and Texas Tech. And, you know, he coached some other places as well. I think he coached at OU back in the day. But uh, this is a guy who's uh, really changed the game of college football, a game that I happen to love to watch and a game that a lot of you guys love to watch. He had a massive heart attack. Uh, I think it was Sunday or Monday or something like that. And he did not make it. So heartbreaking stuff for that, for that university, for his family, for everybody involved there. And so just wanted to give my sincerest condolences to his loved ones there, but also it's a reminder guys that we never know when our time's up, right? Uh, he, he's preparing for next season. I'm sure he was doing recruiting and, you know, preparing for a bowl game and all kinds of other different things. And then, you know, boom, lights are out. So, you know, if you're not right with Jesus, probably something you should take care of. All right. And I don't know anything about him and his personal faith and all that, but just in general, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Christ, you need to. So we need to get into uh, the main section for today before we get into the quick hitters. And that's why today's episode is called the trans agenda doesn't care about your red state. Okay. So I had to change this episode right before recording, like literally right before I was going to record this because I was made aware about this story that hits literally super close to home. So Redux is the website. That's R-E-D-U-X-X. Uh, there was an article by Anna Slats, uh, and it was released on December the 12th. So what would that be? I'm recording this on the 13th. I think I'm going to release it today. So this was released yesterday. Okay. Here's the headline. Trans student charged after reportedly assaulting two female students in school washroom. Okay. Now, the, the headline is enough to grab my attention, but the picture that was with the headline or the tweet showed Edmond Memorial High School because that's where this happened. And the front doors of that school are just about 10 minutes away from my driveway. Okay. So if I drive there, it's going to take me about 10 minutes to get there. It's one of three 6A public high schools in Edmond, Oklahoma. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, Edmond, small town. It's like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not enormous. It's not New York city. It's not San Francisco, but it's a decent sized town. Okay. So quick side note, before I start reading from this article, because it's very, very important, the details that I'm going to be getting into today. I super appreciate Anna Slats, who wrote this article, for using the pronouns that reflect truth, reality, and biology when she wrote this piece. Okay, I very, very much so appreciate that. Okay, because you, you read some of these articles, even from conservative outlets, and they use the preferred pronouns, and it, it just muddies the waters, and you don't understand what's actually happening, and you, you don't understand what, what truth is in the article. So let's go ahead and go to the article here, because we're going to spend a lot of time here before we get to the quick hitters. Two female students have been left with injuries after reportedly being assaulted by a trans-identified male student in the women's restroom at a high school in Edmond, Oklahoma. Redux has obtained a police report related to a violent assault that took place in a women's washroom at Edmond Memorial High School. The report dated October 26th. So guys, we found out about this yesterday. 
but the report was dated October 26, okay, reveals that the trans-identified male student was handled a, or handed a juvenile summons after two female students were left with injuries following a fight he had reportedly initiated with them in the women's washroom. On October the 26th at approximately 8 a.m., police responded to reports of a fight that had broken out at Memorial High School in a small community of Edmond, Oklahoma. Upon arriving, the officer found a female student with injuries to her face and head at the nurse's station. The attending officer noted the female victim had several red areas on her face and that both of her eyes were beginning to swell. The officer conducted an interview with the victim whose full name was redacted due to her age. The female student advised the officer that the trans-identified student indicated by the letter A had approached her in the woman's washroom while she was speaking to friends. She explained that A had tried to talk to her and she had ignored him, at which point A began to get angry and asked if she wanted to fight while approaching her with with bald fists. The victim said that the trans-identified student hit her in the face, and she indicated in her statement that she was not strong enough to fight back due to the force of the blow. The transgender student pulled the girl's hair and forced her to the ground, at which point he began to kick her in the face and punch her repeatedly. The women or the victim's friends who had been in the washroom at the time witnessed the incident and were pleading with A to stop his assault. One of the other female students attempted to intervene and was punched twice on the left side of her face by the assailant. One witness indicated that the girl had tried to step in because A is a man and she felt her friend's life was at risk. The female student who intervened is listed as having injuries to her eye, face, and head with a possible concussion. Two other witnesses appeared to corroborate the victim's story, with one stating that the transgender student struck the victim repeatedly and knocked her out clean on the floor without any retaliation from the victim. One of the other witnesses also stated she had wanted to intervene, but is not listed as a victim in the report. A statement from the transgender student indicates that he he had initiated the conversation with the victim because he was trying to pay her back for clothes he had stolen from her. The student also contradicts the victim's and witness statements and provides details that are inconsistent with the girl's injuries as recorded by police. The attending officer reported that there was great confusion over A's gender identity and had pursued more information from the school administration due to conflicting data on A's biological sex. The officer noted that A had been registered as a female student and that the birth certificate on file with the school had no indicated gender marker. The officer then found a paternity affidavit which indicated that A was a male. Police report indicates that A's mother arrived to pick up her child. The parents appear to have attempted to blame the victim for the assault, claiming the girl had made fun of A for being transgender. The parent also confirmed that A was born male, but identified as female. The police report utilized feminine pronouns to refer to A. The trans-identified student was charged with assault and battery and disorderly conduct and was handed summons on both counts, details confirmed by Emily Ward, Edmond Police Department's public information specialist. Earlier this year, the state of Oklahoma passed a law into the Senate Bill 615, which required all public schools to have exclusively single-sex facilities and for students and staff to utilize the washroom in accordance with the biological sex on their birth certificate. Accommodations were made available in a clause that permitted single-use facilities to be available for those who did not wish to use multiple occupancy restrooms. Susan Parks Schlepp, Director of Communications for Edmond Public Schools, responded to a request for comment and confirmed some details of the October 26th incident. Administrators at Edmond Memorial High School investigated an injury fight involving two students in the women's restroom. During the course of the investigation, it was discovered that one of the students involved in the fight was transgender and was using the women's restroom in violation of the state law, which required students to use restrooms according to the sex on their birth certificate, Parks Schlepp stated. 
Park Schlepp, I'm sorry if I'm messing up her last name, but I think it is Park Schlepp, did not provide any insight into how the assault had been able to take place considering the school's alleged compliance with Senate Bill 615 or provide insight into whether a member of the school staff had provided the transgender student with informal permission to use the women's facilities. All right, so here's the thing. I, I need to go back because there's more here and I'm going to put it in the show notes so you guys can check it out. But I need to go back to several very, very important parts from this story. Again, this article uh, was written by Anna Slats at Redux. We're very, very appreciative. So when we go back to the art- article, we talk about how this guy, this boy was in the women's restroom and he's trying to talk to these girls, right? So already the fact that he's in their restroom, in their private space, he's violating a, a lot of just decorum. And overall, he's, he's violating their desire for safety because you have a man that's in the women's restroom. And we see in this report that she had ignored him clearly because she was very uncomfortable with the dude being in the bathroom with her and her friends. And if this guy had stolen things from her before, like stolen her clothes, like obviously it might be something to where it's like, hey, I'm just going to ignore this problem and hope that it goes away. And then a little bit later, it says that she was not strong enough to fight back due to the force of the blow. And if you think about it, if there's a fight happening between men and women, or boys and girls. There are biological differences between boys and girls. So how could we assume that she would be strong enough to fight back against the blows of a biological male? And then also we see a little bit later that the friends, this girl's friends that were standing around watching this assault take place, all they had at their disposal was pleading with the perpetrator to stop his assault. Because again, there are differences. There are biological differences between boys and girls. And in that moment, that's kind of their only option. Like I don't fault those girls at all for not stepping in. Right. And so it's like, you know, you, you have this guy mauling this girl and it's like, you know, what, what are you supposed to do? Cause you're also a girl. Right. And then a little bit later, it says, you know, the attending officer that there was great confusion over A's gender identity. And the thing is, is you only get that confusion when you let trans ideology rot your brain. Because we shouldn't ever be concerned about someone's gender identity because I don't care about how you identify, especially when it comes to something like this. And if you're a police officer, you're, you're trying to get information about who the perpetrator is. And if someone's like, oh, well, they identify as this or that, like, how is that going to help them? And a little bit later, I'll just read this quote again. The officer noted that A had been registered as a, as a female student and that the birth certificate on file with the school had no indicated gender marker. The officer then found a paternity affidavit, affidavit which indicated that A was male. Think about this. What an utter waste of time and energy. Think about, think about the, the hoops that this officer had to jump through just to find out the gender of the perpetrator. What it should have been, it would have been like, hey, uh, was the perpetrator male or female? Oh, uh, male. Great. Moving on. Right? I mean, just, just think about it. Like, imagine him asking, was the assailant male or female? And then someone responding, well, I don't really know. I didn't get to talk to them beforehand about their lived experience. Like, think about how, about how ridiculous that is. Like, it's just making policing even harder than it actually is. Then we go a little bit later. It says, you know, that the parents are blaming the victim for the assault, saying that the girl was made fun of because, of course, they would. Right. These are people that, you know, uh, they're, they're probably using their, their child as as an accessory piece so that they can speak to all their other friends about how they have a transgender child. And again, I'm taking some liberties here, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. But that's easy to do. It's easy to blame the victim of the assault. When we're in a culture that values victimhood, okay, we value victimhood, but not in this case where the girl that's the actual victim is the girl that was beat up by the guy pretending to be a girl, right? That's the outrage. We, we should come to the aid of that victim, 
But societally, culturally, we think that the transgender person is the victim because they were made fun of. And in this case, that's not even been corroborated that this girl was making fun of this boy for pretending to be a girl. And again, you know, and I don't really understand what the deal is with this. The police, this is EPD. This is Edmund PD, you know, where, where my cousin served and, you know, you know, all these things. They used feminine pronouns in their police report. Why? Like, on what planet does that make sense, Edmund Public or like Edmund, you know, Police Department? Like, why does that make sense at all? That you would put something that you know to be untrue in your official report that could later be used in court? Really? Like, is that what the Edmund Police Department thinks is a good thing to do? A useful thing to do? And then a little bit later in the article, it talks about, you know, this person, this dude that was dressed up as a girl was using the women's restroom in violation of the state law, which requires students to use a restroom according to the sex on their birth certificate. So the thing about it is, is obviously um, this person violated the law, but I think it's more than that. I think that Edmund Memorial High School was simply not enforcing it because they didn't want to be seen as transphobic. Because you have this kid who's, you know, obviously got a mental disorder that needs to be treated, not with, you know, uh, mind altering hormones uh, or body altering hormones and not with bottom surgery and not with all these different things. Right. Doesn't need to get a boob job. Doesn't need, you know, uh, you know, gift certificate to JCPenney to buy some more clothes. No, this person needs mental help. Right. But instead of enforcing this law that is on the books, the people at Edmund Memorial, apparently it's like, ah, it doesn't really matter. And we kind of get a hint of that towards the end when it says, you know, the school's alleged compliance with Senate Bill 615 or provide insight into whether a member of the school staff had provided the transgender student with informal permission to use the women's facilities. Would it surprise anybody at all? And I mean, literally anybody at all, if that had happened? You have a teacher that says, hey, you know, I know what the bill says, or maybe they didn't even discuss the bill because no one pays attention to local politics. And they just said, yeah, you can just use whatever bathroom you want. So again, as I've talked about on the show before, let's lift up the feelings and opinions of this one person to the detriment of all these other people. Let's make this person feel safe in their delusion to the detriment and unsafety of all the girls in the bathroom that he may decide to assault one day. And we're going to get way more into stuff like this when we talk about Loudoun County because there's some interesting things that come up. So stick around for that. But we need to talk about why this story is so unbelievably important. Okay. So the first thing is this. The LGBTQIA plus agenda has created a super spreader virus of trans ideology. It has metastasized into a mind contagion that has overtaken the logic, reasoning, and thinking capabilities of impressionable and vulnerable children given tremendous amounts of power to parents that want to benefit from their children being victims and given tacit permission for leftist teachers unions to shove this satanic ideology down the throats of any and all non-compliant school board members, superintendents, principals, teachers, and coaches. Now guys, That may be the most important sentence that I've uttered on this podcast this year. I won't repeat it. You can go back and listen to it again, but it's true. So if we break that down, again, this is a mind contagion because 10 years ago, if you had said a teenage boy could identify as a girl and use the girl's bathroom, you would have been like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. What's wrong with you? Get out of my face. But now it's common. And if you don't agree with that, you're a bigot, right? There are schools, and you guys have seen this, there are schools that are putting kitty litter in their bathrooms because there are students, typically girls, 
in their schools that identify as furries. They identify as cats. And so as opposed to using the restroom on the toilet, they're going in a litter box. Because apparently when you mainstream and mainline delusion, this is a loving and positive thing to do, right? And this mind contagion has not only spread through Gen Z, it's spread through everybody that is in control of Gen Z. Because there's a hundred million kids right now that are in the government public run school systems. And these people agree with this agenda. They agree with things like this. Yeah, let's go ahead and put kitty litter in the classroom. Let's go ahead and put it in the bathroom. No big deal. Like, oh, uh, are you saying that their queer identity isn't who they actually are? Oh my gosh, you bigot. What year is it, right? It's that kind of nonsense, that kind of bull crap, right? But then the other part, these parents, I think they love being able to benefit from their children being victims. Because again, in 2022, you are not lauded. You are, you are not uh, raised up. You are not looked at as a paragon of virtue if you overcome, if you show resilience. You are seen as lesser than, actually, if you show resilience. They want you to stop. These people that think this way want you to stop the moment you feel as if you have been wronged. And then that's where you can stay. And we will do everything we can to change the world around you once you have been wronged so that you don't have to deal with potentially becoming better or changing in any way, shape, or form, right? And parents can get this via fiat. They can get this as an extension of their child because not only do a lot of people treat, you know, a trans or a queer kid or something like that as an accessory that they can just, you know, put on their, you know, the wrist like jewelry and kind of walk around. It's like, oh yeah, I have a trans child. Just think about it. Why are there so many trans identified children in Los Angeles County? Could have anything to do with the fact that these people get something from that, that they're, they're able to, to get, you know, the, the support and love of the people that are in their community because they have one too. Right. Oh, my kid's non-binary. Oh, my, my kid's pansexual. Oh, my kid's this or that. Right. But then also these leftist teachers unions and guys, I know you get uncomfortable because I know there are teachers that listen to this and you have teachers in your family and all those different things. I'm talking about the teachers unions. They are almost completely leftist. They are, they are 98% of their money goes to Democrats and Democrat causes. And these are the people that are shoving down this ideology are shoving this down the throats of people that would otherwise not go for it. And then you have school board members and superintendents and principals and teachers and coaches and all these people that want to keep their jobs. And so they either remain silent or if they voice their opinions, they're ostracized by other people or they're fired or kicked out. And it'll be some sort of trumped up, oh, they've been problematic or they're not, you know, aiding the students or they're creating an unsafe environment or something like that. And so that, that's a very, very important thing to realize when it comes to the story. Also, the trans agenda doesn't care about the borders of your red state. Because again, need I remind you, I live in Oklahoma. I've lived in Oklahoma essentially my entire life. And every single county in Oklahoma, however many there are, has voted red in basically every election in my lifetime, right? There hasn't been a single county, even Tulsa or Oklahoma City, that has a lot more liberal folks in it that, you know, vote Democrat. You know, when we're voting for Senate, uh, the U.S. Senate, when we're voting for House of Representatives, when we're voting for uh, the, the, the governor's uh, seat, when we're voting for president, any of those things, we vote red. That's what Oklahoma does. That's why no one ever comes here you know, to campaign. That's why we don't see a whole lot of campaign commercials from national candidates because we pretty much know the score, what's going to happen here in the state of Oklahoma. And yet, this is happening here. In, in the number one city in the state that people want to live in, 
Uh, th this city, Edmond, Oklahoma, has been named by a lot of different magazines over the years the number one place to raise a family. The, the best small town in America. Like These are literally accolades that my, my town ha has, has gotten before. And yet, in one of its three main high schools, it has allowed for the trans agenda to pervade their culture, which led to the direct assault of girls in their bathroom. So a lot of you guys that live in red states, whether you live in Oklahoma or you live in Alabama or you live in, you know, pick another red state, pick Idaho, whatever. You just turn your brains off. You send your kids into the government schools and you just turn your brains off. You just assume, well, that's stuff that happens in California and Chicago, Washington, D.C. and Boston and New York City and in Portland and all that. that like, that's not going to happen here. Certainly not going to happen here. We're all conservatives. There are churches on every street corner. There's more churches than there are stores. Like, you know, whatever your, your reasoning is. But guess what? The trans agenda doesn't care about that. Because they're, they're already shoving down their agenda at these churches that, that a lot of you d attend. And some of them are acquiescing to that worldview and to that agenda. But it's happening in our schools. So you are not safe. Your children are not safe because you live in a state with a Republican governor. I'm sorry. Now, I'm all for these Republican governors. I'm for Governor Stitt in this state getting that bill signed into law, you know, to protect these children. But it only works if the people inside of those institutions will uphold that law and uphold that standard, which leads to the final point on this story. And guys, I'm going to keep banging this drum in, until it's my time to go home. OK, get your kids out of the government schools, get them out. Okay? I talk about this all the time. There are two options, vetted private Christian school or homeschool. Homeschool is pretty much the only way that you can make sure that nothing happens like, to your kid that is outside of your purview. That's, a, that's about the only option. And again, I use the word vetted private Christian school because there are Christian schools out there that will put a cross you know, uh, on the wall in the lobby, but then they've got LGBTQ flags in the classroom. Okay? So you can't just trust it because they've got Christian in the name of the school. You have to vet them. You have to ask them questions when your kid's going through the process of getting into the school or when you're applying or all that. You need to ask them, hey, uh, let's say a high school kid decides that they're the opposite gender. It's a boy that thinks he's a girl and he wants to dress as a girl, be referred to by feminine pronouns and use the women's restroom. What are you going to do? And if their answer is anything short of, yeah, we wouldn't let that happen whatsoever. And if it uh, was a persistent problem, we would kick the kid out of school. You can't let your kid go to the school like that. You just can't. And for the parents listening to this, because I know there are a lot, right? So I got to be careful. For the parents that keep their kids in the public schools and defend that by saying things like, you know, we are called to be salt and light, right? And, and we're called to be missionaries to, to, the, to the people. We're called to evangelize to, to the unbeliever. Those people forget a very, very important thing. It's that missionaries were sent out. The missionaries we see in the New Testament they were sent out after they were trained, okay? They were trained and equipped, and then they were sent. Kids in schools are not trained and certainly not equipped to be able to deal with the nonsense and darkness that is currently happening in the public school system. They're just not. They don't have the tools. They don't have the weapons. And all you are doing is sending your children into these buildings, these government buildings, and crossing your fingers, hoping that they don't become an anti-God leftist or a victim of the downstream consequences of these damaging ideologies. 
Now, I know that vetted private Christian school would be a sacrifice for a lot of you because a lot of these places are incredibly expensive. But some of you could make that happen if you wanted to. And I know that homeschool would be a sacrifice for families. And a lot of people think, oh, there's no way I can homeschool. There's no way we could pull that off and all these different things. And I've heard all those things before. But there are people, and that's one of the focuses for 2023 is I'm going to try to get more people on the show that run homeschool systems and all that, that give curriculum, that help parents out, that have no background in teaching, that maybe don't even have a college degree, maybe haven't even graduated high school, and be able to help them to be able to train their kids at home and to be able to raise them at home and teach them at home and also make sure that they don't turn out as a weirdo that they still know how to talk to people. They still know how to interact with adults. They still you know, know what it's like to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or whatever the thing is, right? Those things are possible. But guys, you are out of your mind if you think your kid is going to get out of this unscathed. And the thing about it is, I remind you, there's another school, middle school, that's about five minutes away from my house that had a substitute teacher come in. This was two years ago, I think. A substitute teacher came in, I think it was like seventh grade English class. They walk over to the board, they write they, them on the board, and then they tell the class, class, these are my pronouns, I'm non-binary, what questions do you have? As opposed to saying, hey, I know that y'all are reading Lord of the Flies right now, what page did you get to yesterday? Oh, page 78, yeah, go ahead and turn to page 79, and we'll start from there. That's their job. But no, 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 no. They got some teaching certificates somewhere, and they think that gives them the right to walk into a room full of impressionable children and write their nonsense pronouns on the board that don't, you know, reflect by, you know, biology or reality at all. And then the children are just going to sit there and take it because what are they supposed to do? What did they just sit up, uh, stand up there, and start quoting Genesis? Is that what you expect them to do? There's an authority figure there. You've taught them to respect people that are in authority. Like, what, are they supposed to just get up and walk out? You can't just walk out of the classroom in the middle of the class, in the middle of the class time period. That happened in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's happening in thousands of schools all over this country. Because these are the government-run schools, and this is the ideology that is supported and upheld by the government of the United States. These leftist teachers unions want this. They love this. They want your children to be confused about their gender. And then there's always the thing undergirding this entire thing is that when your kid is confused about their gender and you just buy into that, well, guess what? That is going to be a lot of money to pharma and a lot of money to the local hospital systems that have these gender affirming clinics, otherwise known as child mutilation facilities, right? This is all connected. So if you're just blindly just walking through your day, assuming that your kids are not going to be the ones that come out being weird, good luck with that. I pray you're right. I pray that you're right. But if you, if you really care about your children, you would keep them from these ideologies, keep them from government entities, these anti-God government entities being able to frame these things for you. You are their parent. Their, their second most influential thing behind your household should be the local church that you have them in, and, and the school system should be after that somewhere, okay? And hopefully, you can get them into a school or in a homeschool-type setting where that lifts up and amplifies what they're learning at church and what they're learning from you as a spiritual leader, the spiritual thermostat of the household. 
To date, I've yet to hear a compelling argument as to, well, I'm keeping my kid in the government schools because blank. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. That is a better option than vetted private Christian school or homeschool. I just haven't heard it. And again, guys, I'm acknowledging, I know that that's going to be a tough thing and not super duper possible for everybody. But if you care about your kids, you'll make it happen. All right, guys, now we're going to get into the main thing that I was going to talk about on today's show that I had to switch at the last minute because there are apparently, you know, weirdos that are at the high school that are really, really close to my house. But I'm going to talk about the best trade possible that we've ever heard of for Russia. Okay, so obviously we're going to be talking about Brittany Griner being traded for Victor Boot, a.k.a. the Merchant of Death. And so by now, you guys have heard a lot about the story, so we're not going to go over a lot of the basic details. But Brittany Griner, American basketball player, probably one of the best female basketball players ever, which makes her like the 10,000th most popular, you know, athlete in America or something like that. But they don't make a ton of money here in America. Uh, the only reason they make money is because the NBA basically funds their league. But what a lot of these women will do is they will play overseas in the WNBA offseason so that they can make money. And Brittany Griner did that in Russia, and I had apparently done that for years. But earlier this year, I think it was in February, uh, she had uh, smuggled in hashish oil, so cannabis oil of some kind. She was arrested. Uh, they brought charges. Uh, she was convicted very, very quickly, and she was sentenced to you know over a decade in prison. And then almost immediately, she was moved to like a, you know, uh, kind of a facility away from a normal prison. So it was like a penal colony or something like that. But then you have Victor Boot, who uh, a lot of you have heard about right now called the Merchant of Death. He's the most famous arms dealer that we know of in existence, right? He's very, very famous. Uh, God of War, I think was the, the Nicolas Cage movie or something like that, or whatever it was called, Lord of War or something like that. But this guy would give, um, weapons. So we're talking about all kinds of weapons. We're talking about surface to air missiles. We're talking about tanks. We're talking about AK-47s, all kinds of ammunition. He would fund both parts of civil wars. He would fund all these different governments. He would fund terrorist organizations. He directly funded organizations whose express purpose was to kill Americans. Okay. So that's Victor Boot. So he was captured in Thailand in 2008 at the behest of the U S government. And he had served uh, 14 years in prisoner uh, or in prison until he was part of that prisoner exchange, the one-to-one for Brittany Griner. So there's so much to talk about about this story. So let's dig in. First of all, uh, there's many things that can be true at once. Okay. Number one, you can be ecstatic as I am that an American is freed from prison in a foreign country and they're now back safely in America. But it can also be true that you can be extremely worried, as I am, that the world's most notorious arms dealer is now a free man. He's back on the market. And the third thing that I think that could be true with these things is that you can think, as I do, that the U.S. got fleeced in this deal because they traded the merchant of death for a WNBA player that doesn't like the United States of America. So more on that on a bit, but there, there's a lot to this story. Uh, so we're going to dig into some random thoughts. I'll try to go quickly. Cause again, we've got all those other quick hitters to hit, but on the Russian side of the deal, everybody has been quick to forget that Brittany Griner broke Russian law on purpose. Like she says that, oh yeah, I didn't really know that she knew the laws of Russia. Like that's why she tried to smuggle in the oil. So she deliberately broke the laws of another country. And another thought on the Russian side of things is the Russians were clearly using this arrest to flex and to make a point and, and to make an example out of Griner. But Griner did deserve some sort of punishment. Again, she deliberately broke the laws of another country. And I don't know why she did it, but she did it. Also on the Russian side, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Russians planned this out from the get-go. Again, these are nefarious forces and, and they do a lot of things that are kind of underhanded. And, you know, I guess you could say that about every country on the planet, including ours. But I really don't think that they found the hashish oil in her luggage and then arrested her and then put her in prison and then later thought to themselves, you know what? We'd really like to get the merchant of death back. Let's see if we can connect these two things. 
I, I bet you that the Russian government had knowledge that Brittany Griner used drugs, that she brought drugs in the, into Russia, and that they knew that Joe Biden and the rest of the Democrats would bend over backwards to get a lesbian black female out of prison because it would deeply satisfy their political base. You know, a, a base that doesn't watch women's basketball either, by the way. But that wouldn't surprise me at all. Would it surprise you guys? And, and on the Russian side as well, one question that essentially nobody is talking about is why do the Russians want Victor Boot back so badly? It's not because they want to punish him. No, like it's not because they're like, oh, y'all are punishing him, but we want to punish him over here. No, not at all. Um, and I think this goes into my next point, which is I think this arms dealer and his connections could have a direct impact on the war that Russia is currently waging in Ukraine. Because we've seen reports of this. Uh, Russia's running short on weapons and people to basically throw at this conflict. So now we have to look at the billions and billions of dollars that we as a country, you as the American taxpayer, are sending to Ukraine and realize that we may just have released the most important chess piece that we had to play in any negotiations with Russia. Because you'll remember there are reports that, you know, we would have been we could have been able to come to the table with Russia and Ukraine and try to get some sort of a peace. And the Biden administration said, no, no chance, no peace. And now we have war. Right. A war that can escalate very, very quickly to nuclear war, to World War Three. Those are all things that are currently on the table. And so we're, we're sending all this money uh, over there. And then we release this guy that's going to immediately be in the conflict that we're trying to fund so that we're, Ukraine can protect themselves because we don't like Russia. OK. And then the last thing on the Russian side of the deal is they certainly got the better part of this deal. Right. Certainly. There's no denying that. And there's nothing that will happen in the future to reverse that. There's, there's more to be seen with what the future will hold for these two people, but we'll get more into that here in a second, because right now I want to talk about the American side of this deal. So you might think that the laws of another country are stupid, right? Or backwards or, or antiquated, but that doesn't matter because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of political and sports pundits out there like, this is a stupid law anyway. And, you know, gosh, if you use this oil, it's good for, you know, your inflammation and your joints and blah, blah, blah. And she needed this. But okay, great. You know why you're making those arguments? Because you live here. You live in the country that still is currently the freest country in the world. It's fast becoming not that, but the freest country in the world is what you're living in. But your opinions about the laws of another country don't matter. You don't live there. You don't vote there. Nothing. Also, on the American side of the ledger, Americans are not entitled to American laws and an American style of justice system while they're in foreign countries. Because, duh. I, it's so funny to me that people were talking about there's no justice for Brittany Griner. Why isn't she being treated better? Because she's not in America, you moron. Like, I remember this instance where I was on a, a school trip in college and we're in Italy and we're on this bus and it was a last, or not a bus, but a, a subway. We were on the last subway train of the night in Rome and one of our buddies is super, super drunk. Like, basically everybody in this trip was super drunk except for me. I was the one basically babysitting all these people because even our sponsors were drunk. But he gets out in the train station. Again, there's no one else in there. So we think he just drops trowel and takes a piss right there in the middle of the train station. And I'm apparently, everyone's laughing. I'm the only one looking at this in disgust. And beyond him, I see a couple of Italian police officers walking his direction. I'm like, here we go. I'm the only one that took the, the language study seriously. So here I am going to have to try to negotiate with these police officers to, to not arrest our, our student because we have to leave the next day to go to another city. And if he's in a jail cell, he's not going to be able to go to the city. And maybe none of us will be able to go to the next city. Right. But. There's this idea that, you know, all the other people, they were screaming and they're drunken thing. No, he's an American. It's an American. Don't worry about it. It's like, what? he's in Italy, you idiot. Like, what? A, why are you screaming that he's an American? He currently broke Italian law. 
and he deserved to go to jail for that. Luckily, I was able to talk him out of handcuffs, right? Because I offered to clean up the piss because everybody else was too drunk to do it themselves, right? We're not entitled to American laws and American justice in another country. Also, on the American side of the ledger, a lot has been made about the Marine Paul Whelan, who was not part of this deal. Uh, he's been a prisoner in Russia for almost four years. And a lot of you have heard about Paul Whelan, but um, there were many people that thought that he was going to be part of this deal or that he was actually going to be the deal. That if there was going to be a one-to-one Victor Boot for somebody, it would be for Paul Whelan, who's been in prison for almost four years. There's even evidence to suggest that the U.S. was offered a one-for-one uh, swap, Whelan for Boot, and turned it down. Okay. According to the New York Times, there are about, because there's other people other than Paul Whelan, there are about 40 to 50 Americans that are currently unjustly held in prisons or prison conditions in at least 19 countries around the globe right now that we know of. But a WNBA player that doesn't like her country is the one that they trade their biggest chip for? Like, make it make sense. And that, that I keep mentioning that she doesn't like her country. She was the main voice of women's basketball players that said she was not going to be on the court if the national anthem was going to be played because the United States of America is an unbelievably systemically racist place and that she couldn't possibly succeed in a country like that as she's being paid to play a sport that nobody watches because they're being supported by another league that people actually watch, but somehow she's a victim. Everybody got that? Everybody be able to write that down? Can you, can you put that on a whiteboard to figure it out? But this country isn't worth standing for. Certainly can't support the national anthem, right? But also, no one's really mentioning a guy named Mark Fogel. So this guy was arrested in Russia for committing the exact same crime as Brittany Griner. And she was arrested. And this guy, Mark Fogel, was arrested in the exact same place, right? In Moscow. And he was arrested in 2001 for having less than an ounce of marijuana that was actually prescribed to him for a bad, you know, spine or back injury that he had. So his sentence was 14 years in prison. I think that was the same exact sentence that Brittany Griner got. But no one's talking about him. No one's talking about Mark Fogel. Again, as far as we know, he deliberately broke Russian law, and there should be some sort of punishment for him. I'm consistent about that. But is it possible that we're not hearing about Mark Fogel because he's a straight white guy? Because he doesn't check any intersectional boxes? It's an argument. Do you disagree? Also, there's a cover-up element to this story because apparently every story now has a cover-up element. There was an NBC News report saying that the Kremlin offered the United States the option of Griner or Whelan or neither for Victor Boot. Griner, Whelan, or neither. But after the story broke that we traded this notorious arms dealer for Griner, NBC News very slyly and sneakily changed the story online to be that the Biden administration was offered Griner or nothing. So this is clearly a cover-up, right? Because obviously the, 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 you know, there are people that are like, wait a minute, the, we, we traded Victor Boot for Brittany Griner. I mean, we're glad she's coming home, but my goodness, right? And then people learned who Paul Whelan was and they're like, why didn't we get that guy? Like, Griner hasn't even been in prison for 10 months. This guy's been in prison for almost four years. And another thing on, on the American side of the ledger is it's, it's so funny that the Biden administration is one of the, of the most, if not the most anti-gun administrations in history. And if they had their way, they would likely just delete the Second Amendment, and yet they, they let loose one of the most notorious firearms dealers in history. Like, isn't that rich? And here's another thing. It's also very interesting to note that just a few hours, literally, like I couldn't believe this was true, just a few hours before announcing that they traded the world's most notorious arms dealer for a WNBA player that doesn't like our country, Joe Biden was at a vigil, and I think he actually spoke at this vigil, 
for people in America that were killed by gun violence. Again, not killed by people with guns, but people in America killed by gun violence. The irony is super rich here because he seems to be very, very, very concerned about Americans shooting other Americans with firearms, but not with releasing an arms dealer who is literally giving firearms and ammunition to terrorist groups and drug groups that desperately want to kill Americans with firearms. Just astonishing. Make it make sense. But it doesn't stop there, obviously. It's also incredibly rich that the Biden administration said that Brittany Griner, Brittany Griner, is the best of us, meaning Americans. So a tattooed, pothead, lesbian women's basketball player that apparently has nothing nice to say about her own country that literally just got her back. She's the best that America has to offer? Really? How insulting. This, this bratty, uh, entitled woman is the best of us? Really? Again, most of us don't believe that, but some people do. But this all came down to one thing for the Biden administration. This is so clear from the beginning. It's intersectionality. Okay, They did this because Brittany Griner identifies, at least for now, as a woman, is black, and is a lesbian. That's it. And she plays, you know, the bonus is, I guess she plays a sport that people can virtue signal by pretending that they care about, you know, women's basketball. And think about it this way. We typically hold prisoners from other countries here in the United States that we think are direct threats to our country and to our populace. Victor Boot certainly meets that, you know, description. And he has shown time and time again that he is a direct danger to the American public. Brittany Griner is in no way, shape or form a threat to the people of Russia. Again, that just speaks to the inequity here in this deal. But I've also seen that the argument is being made that Victor Boot did not actually directly kill people, right? He sold weapons to people that killed people, but he himself has not, you know, reportedly killed anybody. And technically that is true as far as we know. Some have already started to argue this. This is a pretty far stretch, but they've already started to argue that if you're saying that Victor Boot killed these people directly, then you have to also say the same thing about gun manufacturers in the United States. Because that's always the thing is like we want to anytime somebody's killed in a mass shooting or just any shooting at all, we want to blame, you know, people that are you know making guns and firearms here in the United States. The big difference is obviously that the gun manufacturers in the United States have no knowledge of what you intend to use the firearm for. They're selling it to you so that you can hunt with it, protect yourself with it, protect your property with it. They, and if you use it for not one of those purposes, that's not their fault. Same thing if you decide to drive a Ford SUV through a Christmas parade, that's not Ford's fault. But Victor Boot knowingly sold arms to people that were planning to kill Americans. And we just let him go. And they're, they're, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of kind of wait and see with this story. You know, the first thing is, will Brittany Griner continue to complain about the country that secured her release? Because she's complained about the country a lot. And, and she's going to be able to, to be doing a lot of interviews. And you can rest assured that she's already you know, negotiating a book deal or a deal with Amazon Prime or Netflix or something like that, a major publishing house. But I certainly have my doubts that she will start to, start to speak glowingly about our country. Again, a country that she represented by playing on the national team while simultaneously apparently hating, right? And another interesting thing for the wait and see part for Griner is this, this is obviously one of the reasons why she uh, has been standing up against our country is because of the ex supposed existem, uh, existence of systemic racism, right? That's why she's been standing against our country. I wonder if she will still talk about systemic racism now that she was brought home by the federal government of the exact same country that supposedly systemically holds people down that have the same level of melanin as her. Because you can't argue systemic racism, and on the other hand, have the ruling government of that system 
basically sacrifice everything to get you home. And then you still feel the same way you did as prior to your arrest. That's not really going to work. And also she's only been back on American soil for a few days. And MSNBC wrote an article with this title, Brittany Griner is finally freed, but her peril is that of a black woman in America. I, I mean, just like that, boom, she's a victim all over again. Like, how that happened is like magic. And, and I think they actually posted a similar story back in, during the summer and then they reposted it after she was freed with a different headline. And it's like, there you go, guys, just in case you wanted to be happy for Brittany Griner, just remember she's a black woman in America. She can't get ahead, even though she's worth millions of dollars. And by the end of this, she'll be worth tens of millions of dollars. But hey, she's still the victim. But in terms of the wait and see part for Victor Boot, will he go back? Will he go right back to being an arms dealer? Will he go back to his arms dealing ways and, and have a part in the slaughter of people all over the globe again to also include Americans and what some people are concerned about, Ukrainians? To be seen. We don't know. But the reason why this story is about so much more than a one-to-one -one swap and, you know, foreign policy and all that kind of stuff is this trade shows that wokeness has officially seeped into our foreign policy as a nation. I feel like there's been, you know, uh, smoke, but maybe not fire as, as far as that goes. But I think we've went full bore here because we shot our most important foreign policy bullet with Russia to free a bratty women's basketball player because of intersectionality. Because again, if you just compared the people I've talked about, Mark Fogel, Paul Whelan, and Brittany Griner, if you just put them on a sheet next to one another, like there, there's not an equity there. If you just put them as blank name with no other descriptors, like you would look at Mark Fogel, who's been in the same predicament for the same thing for longer as someone that you would may tr maybe try to get home. Paul Whelan, a Marine veteran that was, you know, uh, illegally held and detained in Russia because they claim that he's a spy, which apparently he's not. Like, that those people would potentially want to come home. And if you're the families of Paul Whelan and Mark Fogel right now, I understand why you're pissed. Because you should be. Because it sucks. Because again, the Biden administration wanted the headline. They didn't want justice. So the next time this administration tries to shove justice down your throat, I want you to remember this entire situation. All right, guys, like I said, we got a lot of ground to cover here for the quick hitter segment. We're already almost an hour in. So guys, I appreciate you hanging with us. Let's dig in. Radical resurrection. <laughs> here we go. Let's do that again. Radical resurrection denying Reverend Raphael Warnock wins re-election in Georgia. And if you're wondering why I'm saying he's a resurrection denying reverend, it's because he denies the resurrection just in case you were wondering about his theology. So according to CBS News, CBS News projects that incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock wins the U.S. Senate runoff in Georgia, defeating Republican challenger Herschel Walker and giving Democrats their 51st seat in the Senate. This will be Warnock's first full six-year term. In his victory speech, he noted his hard-fought campaign and said the people have spoken amid cheers of six more years. So Warnock got around 1.8 million votes or 51.4% and Walker got 1.7 million votes or 48.6%. This hands Democrats a clear 51-49 majority in the U.S. Senate. Um, it's actually a pretty wide margin uh, considering that Warnock is a crazy person. And he believes and does crazy things. I guess candidate quality does, in fact, matter. And so the big takeaway on this one is this was a foregone conclusion. The, the moment that Herschel Walker didn't win on the, the actual initial election night and that it went to runoff, we knew that Herschel Walker basically didn't have a chance. But we can't forget that Raphael Warnock should have never been in the position to run for re-election in the first place. And yes, I'm going to go back to the 2020 election when both Georgia Senate seats went to runoffs and one of those are for Raphael Warnock. And part of the reason, and I would say the main reason why he was elected and the other Democrat was elected because Donald Trump encouraged Georgia people to not go and vote in the runoff election. So elections have consequences. This is just the one we're going to have to live with. 
All right, stay in the U.S. Senate. Kirsten Cinema from Arizona leaving the Democratic Party. So this is according to CNN. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema is leaving the Democratic Party and registering as a political independent. She told CNN's Jake Tapper in an exclusive TV interview. I've registered as an Arizona independent. I know some people might be a little surprised by this, but actually, I think it makes a lot of sense, Cinema said in a Thursday interview with Tapper in her Senate office. I've never fit in neatly into any party box. I've never really tried. I don't want to, she added. Removing myself from the partisan structure, not only is it true to who I am and how I operate, I also think it'll provide a place of belonging for many people across the state and country who also are tired of the partisanship. So go right to my big takeaway on this one. The news, this news about this, it's a big nothing burger. This is a nothing burger. I have no idea what, well, I do know why people are talking about it, but it's a nothing burger. And this is why. Number one, she's doing this to avoid a Democratic runoff when she's up for re-election in 2024 because they were signaling that the Democrats were going to do that here in two years. Number two, She'll caucus with the Democrats almost 100% of the time anyway, as the other two registered independents in the U.S. Senate currently do. Uh, I think it's a gal from Maine. I can't remember her name and, and Bernie Sanders. So she's going to basically vote Democrat anyway. And the third thing is the United States Senate isn't split 50-50. If it was 50-50 and then she put peels off as an independent and she's going to be, you know, kind of a thorn in the Democrats side, then maybe this is something. But I don't really see it as anything right here. I see it basically as a very smart move for her politically because it looks like, you know, the, the writing on the wall was that she was going to be challenged by a Democrat in her, from her own party in two years and would likely lose. And so she's avoiding that. So this isn't a big thing. This isn't a good thing for Republicans. It's just, it's nothing for me. All right, guys, next quick hitter here. Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky being named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. So this is according to the BBC. Time Magazine has named Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and the Spirit of Ukraine as its 2022 Person of the Year. The award goes to an event or a person deemed to have had the most influence on global events over the last 12 months. Other finalists included protesters in Iran, China, China's leader Xi Jinping, and the U.S. Supreme Court. The magazine's editor said that the decision was the most clear-cut in memory. In a world that has come to be defined by its divisiveness, there was a coming together around this cause around the country, Edward Felsenthal wrote. I guess that's the magazine's editor. So let's go to the big takeaway on this one. I'm going to laugh super hard when Zelensky eventually joins the ranks of other terribly corrupt people that were named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. So as I'm saying this, I'm not saying that Zelensky is exactly like any of the people that I'm about to list, but here are some of the other former winners of this award. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Putin. So you're on that list. And again, I mean, their standards are clear. This is, you know, as I said, this is someone that is deemed to be the most influential person on global events over the last 12 months. So you can be a horrible fascist dictator and meet that standard, right? But as we knew before the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, Ukraine is a deeply corrupt country and it runs all the way to the top. But then we just forget that when Russia invades. And now if you don't support Ukraine and if you don't support tens of billions of dollars, constantly going their direction, you're a bad person and you want the people of Ukraine to suffer and die. But time will tell. Hopefully the Ukrainians can hold their ground. Hopefully it doesn't lead to World War III, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see. All right, next quick hitter here, a major streaming platform allowing Casey Anthony to profit off of, allegedly, not killing her daughter, Kaylee. So this is according to Newsweek. Casey Anthony, who was once accused of murdering her toddler, is getting a Peacock documentary, and many on the internet are not pleased. 
and this was on November the 8th, Peacock released a teaser trailer on Twitter for Casey Anthony, Where the Truth Lies, a three-part documentary series that will release on November the 29th. After 11 years, Casey Anthony breaks her silence for the first time on camera, the tweet read. So again, if we go back to this case, you guys are going to have to kind of look it up yourself, but this happened in 2008. Two-year-old Kaylee Anthony, Casey Anthony's uh, daughter disappeared. She was found in late 2008. Her body was inside a trash bag. She had duct tape across her mouth. It was found in the woods, very, very close to Anthony's, the Anthony family home in Orlando, Florida. So the, the trial happens and Casey Anthony is exonerated on these charges. It was almost like in football where it's like they can't confirm the, the, the overturning of a play, but they, they just don't have enough evidence. It was one of those things. And the public reaction to the Peacock announcement was incredibly one-sided and stark, and they were very, very much so against this. Because in a lot of ways, she's a pariah. She's very much so like O.J. Simpson, to where it's like, yeah, I get it, you're free, but also we know you murdered that person. Again, so I don't have any special knowledge, so I have to leave it over there to say that she allegedly murdered her daughter. But even in the uh, teasers for this documentary, she mentions, she specifically mentions that her daughter likely drowned. Her daughter was found in a trash bag with duct tape over her mouth, and I believe her hands were bound. So even in this, she's saying, oh yeah, I think she drowned. Really? Really? So my big takeaway on this is that Americans just can't get enough of murder content, you know, serial killer stuff. And many of us can't keep ourselves from viewing it and allowing these people to profit off of it. Okay. Now I like a good murder mystery. I like true crime. I like documentaries. I like all that stuff. But if you watch this Peacock documentary, you're signaling to Peacock, which I think is NBC streaming platform that you want more of this. Hey, let's do OJ Simpson next. Hey, OJ, uh, let's pretend like you didn't kill your wife and her lover and let's just, uh, you know, let you talk and make a whole bunch of money off of this because we have to get the rights to your content, right? We have to pay you for these interviews. And so again, it's a shrewd business move for Peacock to put her out there like this. I don't know that it's going to have rave reviews and, you know, tens of millions of people listening to it and watching it. But again, it's because of us as Americans, it's because we like this content that is being given to us. All right, next one here. The first openly trans Navy SEAL deciding to detransition. So this is according to Fox News. A retired Navy SEAL who came out as transgender a decade ago before announcing his detransition in recent days spoke out to Fox News about the process and why children should not rush or be rushed into making a life-altering medical decision. Chris Beck, who had for a time been known as Kristen Beck, told Tucker Carlson tonight, Monday, he is not at all political, nor is he opposed or, or critical of transgender people. He told host Tucker Carlson he wanted potential transitioners to slow down and for doctors to take full grasp of what they are doing. The transgender issue originally started out as pretty basic and very rare, and now it's kind of morphed into an ideology, Beck said, and that's why I'm speaking out about it. Thinking about the ideology, I'm not talking about the people. Now, there's a lot of transgender people out there, great folks, but the ideology as I'm talking about is something that is becoming something where it's being pushed in schools and young teenagers are having surgeries because it says they're transgender. It's an affirmation. Okay, so quick random point on Fox News. Apparently, Fox News just can't decide if they want to buy into the trans agenda or not. They keep kind of pussyfooting around the deal, right? So, uh, oh gosh, what's, a, what's the dude's name? Um, Caitlyn Jenner. Right. So they hire Caitlyn Jenner 
as a uh, consultant or as someone, a correspondent to, to talk on screen. And then you saw some of the narratives change on some of their stories. They were using pronouns that didn't, you know, align with biological sex. And it's like, you know, a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives are like, wait a minute, Fox News, you were like our last bastion of hope here. You know, a major news organization. We didn't think that you were going to fall for this. And so Fox News apparently can't do that because now they've got these stories and they're using correct pronouns. And it's like they can't really they can't really figure it out. So my big takeaway on this one is two things can be true at once, right? Number one, Chris Beck could be someone that is suffering from a terrible mental illness, which I obviously see that to be true. And he can be right to caution people that honestly believe that they can change your gender because people are automatically, you know, dismissing Chris Beck right now. It's like, oh, you know, he's a detransitioner. And this was what always happens. They're a hero of the left and they're a hero of the trans agenda until they realize that this is something that they've done to themselves that is negative, that is not going to be good for them and that they're going to caution other people to not do that. Okay. So he was a hero of the left. Now he's a pariah. Okay. But just because he has a mental illness doesn't mean that he's not right about this because he has an actual lived experience, right? To use that phrase, his actual lived experience, he's seen where this can go. And he realized, thankfully, that this is not a good thing. And that when you're pushing you know, seven, eight-year-olds, 14, 15-year-olds towards this type of a lifestyle, that's not going to be good for their flourishing. So I'm glad he spoke out. All right, next quick hitter here, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act passing the United States House of Representatives and being signed by co-president Biden. So this actually happened yesterday, but according to Yahoo News, President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed into law the Respect for Marriage Act at a star-studded ceremony on the Southern Lawn or the South Lawn. The signing of the law is a victory for the LGBTQ plus community as it further protects the right to marriage for same-sex and interracial couples. They had to add that in there. The Respect for Marriage Act would, for the first time, enshrine same-sex and interracial marriages into federal law and allow the federal government to bring a civil lawsuit against anyone who violates the statutory rights of gay, lesbian, or interracial couples. The bill also notably repeals the 1996 federal law and the Defense of Marriage Act, which wants to find marriage as between a man and a woman. So to go back to the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act, I think that passed like 80-something percent in both houses of Congress and was signed by a Democratic president. So think about, you know, from there to now, how things have changed. And if you want a more comprehensive breakdown of this entire thing, go back to episode 396 of this podcast. But for now, my big takeaway on this is all of the Republicans that voted in favor of this legislation should be voted out of office. And the Democrats in, tr- in control of the U.S. government cannot usurp God and the things he defines. So I talk you know, a lot on episode 396 about this. We get into all that detail. It's no surprise that this was signed into law. Yes, this will cause problems uh, for Christians and people of faith in this country. It's certainly going to happen. There's going to be a whole lot more. Democrats are going to keep pushing, and it's going to be a bad deal. But again, Democrats are saying this is what marriage is, but God gets to define what marriage is. So American law may say one thing, but God gets the final say. All right, next one here. Child rapists in California serving prison sentences of less than a year. Okay, so this is an exclusive from the UK Daily Mail. An analysis of a California sex offenders database shows thousands of child molesters are being let out of prison prison after just a few months. Dailymail.com's investigation reveals more than 7,000 sex offenders were convicted of lewd or lascivious acts with a child under 14 years of age. Those 7,000 pedophiles were released the same year they were convicted. 
Others who committed some sort of the worst child sex crimes, including sodomy and rape of children, served similarly short sentences. Currently, in former, or current and former Los Angeles sex crime prosecutors tell DailyMail.com that the figures are terrifying and shameful. Deputy DA John Hatami blames Proposition 57, a 2016 bill allowing early parole for nonviolent felons, which was supposed to, uh, was supported by his boss, LADA George Gascon. Thousands of children victims are being denied justice and George Gascon and his group of radical prosecutors could care less, Hatami said. So we're going to go right to the big takeaway on this one. Most of you didn't know about this, so I'm glad I was able to bring you this content. I know it's an uncomfortable subject matter, and for all of us that have kids, it is absolutely astonishing that these people would be let out of prison, much less after these incredibly short prison sentences. Because if you rape a kid and nine months later you're walking on the streets again, are you changed? Are, are you uh, redone, remade as a person? So right to my big takeaway, and I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. There are only two options that we should give pedophiles. Number one, death penalty. Number two, castration, then the death penalty. That's it. Because if we start doing that as a country, we might actually see pedophilia start to go away, right? As opposed to just calling these people minor attracted persons, trying to give them new names to make them seem, you know, not so crazy, right? But in the state of California, you can butt rape a kid and then be out walking around, prowling around, trying to be a predator and find another kid to victimize within a year. Death penalty or castration and then the death penalty. And it should be swift in both cases. All right, guys, next one here. Staying in California, ugh. Governor Gavin Newsom exploring reparations for the state's black residents. So this is according to The Blaze. After months of research, California's reparations task force recently reported that the state's black residents whose ancestors were in America from 1933 to 1977 are owed a total of 569 billion dollars in housing reparations, the New York Times reported. The task force, which was formed by legislation signed by Governor Gavin Newsom in 2020, uh, or 2020, included nine members who have spent months traveling the state, conducting interviews and collecting data. Well, like, what, da what data are they collecting to assess the long-term effects of slavery? In March, the task force determined that those eligible to receive reparations include California residents who are descendants of enslaved African Americans or a free black person living in the United States prior to the end of the 19th century. The panel concluded that black California residents are owed a total of $569 billion or $223,200 each for housing discrimination. Okay. So guys on this show before, I think it was last year, or maybe it was in 2020. I think it was in 2020. I've talked about the issue of so-called reparations before, and that's my race in America series. There were first, there were three episodes that were released back to back to back. That was in 2020. And then I've released two subsequent episodes. Um, and I'm not sure which episodes are, those are, but you can just go to the website and search for it. But I address that. But here's a quick rundown of the, the problems with reparations of which there are many, but here's a quick one. The main problem is no black people alive in America today have been slaves and no non-black people alive in America today has owned an African slave. These people don't exist. And so the American taxpayer or the, the California taxpayer, to be more specific, is going to be on the hook for paying reparations as non-slave owners to people who were never enslaved. Again, make that make sense. But it creates a lot of other problems. Are these black people that were descendants of African slaves? Or are these black people that were descendants of African slavers? Because the, the, the slave trade, 
people were like, oh, you know, it was the Spanish, it was the the French, it was the the English, it was the Americans. Like they were, oh, of course, they all had a hand in it. But it was the African tribesmen that were selling their own people or going to other villages and capturing people. There are literally tons of reports of villagers going to other villages, kidnapping these people and putting them in cages on the beaches of Africa to make it easier for the transfer to the Europeans to buy them and to send them wherever they wanted to, right? So are these people descendants of those people? Are they descendants of black people that own slaves in America? Because I believe the first slave owner in America was a black person. Do those people not get the reparations? Or are we just basing it off the level of melanin in their skin, right? You know, what's the standard here? We don't, we don't really have a lot of that. Again, this hasn't gone into effect yet, but they're certainly moving in that direction. Also, what if you're mixed race? What if your mom is white and your dad is black? Do you get half? Okay, what, what if, uh, you know, your mom and dad, uh, so does your mom who's white have to take reparations to your dad who's black? Do, do they have, does she have to like walk a check across the house? There's tons of problems with this. So my big takeaway on this is, this is obviously a nonsense story at least until it actually happens. Because this is, you know, we can point out and we can laugh and we can say, oh, this is really stupid and this is really dumb because it is, but it's going to happen. California is definitely going to pull this off. Like the, the, this is definitely going to be a headline for next year. And then there will be other states that follow suit. Illinois, New York, Massachusetts. Like there will be other states that do this exact thing. So it's, it's nonsense. We can point and laugh now, but it's coming guys. All right, next one here. Loudoun County superintendent and spokesman being criminally indicted for covering up a rape of one of their students. So this is according to Luke Rosiak of the Daily Wire, who originally broke the story. Um, And so we'll just go back to his reporting here. Two top officials of a Northern Virginia public school district were indicted Monday for their roles in the handling of a bathroom rape by a skirt-wearing boy after the Daily Wire revealed the apparent cover-up last year, court documents unsealed Monday showed. Loudoun County Superintendent Scott Ziegler was indicted on three misdemeanor counts of false publication, conflict of interest, prohibited conduct, and penalizing employee for court appearance. Spokeswoman or spokesman Wade Bard was indicted on a felony, uh, felony charge of perjury, court records showed. A week ago, a special grand jury released a 91-page report that confirmed the findings of the Daily Wire's October 2021 expose, saying that Ziegler told a bald-faced lie when he dismissed concerns about a proposed transgender policy by denying that there had ever been any bathroom sexual assaults, despite knowing that just a month prior, a skirt-wearing boy had allegedly raped a ninth-grade girl. Anally raped, by the way. The grand jury said Ziegler's administration also concealed from the public and even the school board that the same boy went on the sexual assault, went on to sexually assault another girl in the classroom with the school board member learning about it only thanks to the Daily Wire. The report painted a devastating picture that found that throughout this ordeal, LCPS administrators were looking out for their own interests instead of the best interests of LCPS. Okay. So I actually discussed this case at length on a previous episode. So go back to episode 247 of this podcast. 247 is called School Board Hides Child Rape in Order to Pass a Transgender Student Policy. But there's one thing about this story that a lot of people are kind of missing, and I obviously didn't read it there. But this boy that was raping girls, I can't remember if this was at the first school that he raped someone at or at the second school that he raped somebody at, but apparently he he had a history of this. He was actually in a bathroom stall, anally raping a girl, and a teacher walked in, noticed that there were two sets of feet underneath this, and I'm assuming if you're being anally raped that you're not sitting there, you know, expressing your joy. This is someone that's being violently raped in the bathroom of her school by a transgender boy, right? Or, or which is to say a, a boy. So it's a transgender girl who's actually a boy. And the school teacher did nothing. Did nothing. 
Reminded me of another story. Remember Sandusky from Penn State? You remember that he was raping a kid that was there for football camp and another coach came in to the locker room in the shower where this kid was being anally raped by Sandusky and did nothing? You know, people want to be known for what they're for, not what, for the, what, what they're against, right? Right, so, so what about these people? Are they allowed to push back darkness? Are they allowed to push, are they allowed to stop darkness and the violation of the Imago Day in that moment? So I'll just go to my big takeaway on this before I lose my mind. This is just another example of the corruption of leftist government school officials and the downstream consequences of the LGBTQ and especially trans agenda. Because one thing I forgot to mention, because now I think we're supposed to say LGBTQIA+. When Joe Biden signed in the supposed Respect for Marriage Act, everybody that went to the microphone, which there was like 74 people that decided they needed to speak that day, they all, they didn't say LGBT. They didn't say LGBTQ. They didn't say LGBTQ+. They said LGBTQIA+. Okay? So when they say they support the LGBTQIA+, right? When they say something like that, the plus is the most important part. Because they are signaling that no matter where this goes, no matter where this goes, Albert Moeller pointed this out on the show and it was genius. No matter where the plus takes us, they already are signaling we support that. Whether that's polyamory, whether that's, uh, you know, thruples, whether that's uh, pedophilia, whatever. That they support everything up to and including the plus. And here we are. We have these corrupt leftist government officials hiding a rape of children, the, the multiple rapes of children by one person because they didn't want to be seen as transphobic and because they wanted to pass their own transgender student policy. And so consequences be damned, we've got to get this through. And so we're going to just move this kid around to a bunch of different schools and hope he stops raping people. These are the consequences, guys. Again, do I need to tell you to get your kids out of the government-run schools? doesn't mean that every kid in a Christian school, that nothing like this could happen. But again, if you vet them and you take this seriously, you can keep this from happening to your kid. All right, guys, next quick hitter here, the continued release of the Twitter files. So here's the thing on Twitter files. I'm going to go really fast on this one because they're coming at breakneck speed, right? So there's been, I think, five different tranches uh, or tranches of releases of different Twitter files. But I'm just going to go to the big takeaway here because there's way too much information to cover here on the quick hitters. But it's always a conspiracy until the truth is revealed. So that's what we're seeing with the Twitter files, right? We think that there was something nefarious that went on before Donald Trump was kicked off Twitter. And lo and behold, there was. We think that there are conservative voices that are being tamped down, that are being suppressed. And then we find out that it's happening. And so if we've learned anything from 2020 to today, is it's always a conspiracy theory until we get the receipts. And we're currently seeing that with the Twitter files. We'll have to continue to see what they're going to be releasing into the future. All right, next quick hitter here. Shark Week, guys. Everybody's favorite week of the year, apparently is super duper racist. So this is according to Fox News. The Washington Post published a report Monday slamming Discovery Channel Shark Week, Shark Week programming for featuring too many white males as shark experts and continuing to peddle negative messages about sharks. You know, these sharks, they just can't get a good PR firm, apparently. Back to the report from Fox News. The report highlighted a study done by the Public Library of Science led by Allegheny College biology professor Lisa Whitenack. The project observed that Discovery's programming emphasized negative messages about sharks, lacked useful messaging about shark conservation, and overwhelmingly featured white men as experts, including several with the same name. So apparently there's a bunch of shark experts named Mike, and this is a bad thing. This is supposed to get us up in arms and be super duper outraged. Again, I'll just skip to the quick hitter on this one because this is absolutely ridiculous. 
Racism demand is high, but supply is incredibly low. This story just proves that further. And then every story we see about a supposed noose hanging in a NASCAR garage or in, you know, some construction site or someone, you know, having a swastika or the N-word painted outside their wall. Why do these things always turn out to be fake? It's because the racism demand is high, but the supply is incredibly low, which is not to say that there are not racists. Obviously, racism will never leave the earth until Christ comes back and cleanses it. But this idea that there's this cabal of racist white supremacists walking around looking for opportunities to put symbols up to make black people or people of color uncomfortable is insane. And again, if you look around hard enough and you want to find incidences of racism, you will find it wherever you look. Apparently, even if you look on Discovery Channel Shark Week. All right, next quick hitter here, a $40,000 a year Chicago private school, not Christian, Chicago private school, organized an event to let their students play with dildos and butt plugs. Yes, this is real. According to the Daily Wire, the dean of students at an elite private school in Chicago was allegedly recorded on undercover video admitting to having a group come into his classroom and pass out sex toys during Pride Week for students to examine and to learn about gay sex. The video allegedly shows Joseph Bruno, Dean of Students, Francis W., uh, Dean of Students of Francis W. Parker School, which costs tens of thousands of dollars to attend, telling an undercover activist for Project, Project Veritas about activities that take place in his classroom. So I've been Dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride Week every year. I had our LGBTQ plus health center come into the classroom, he allegedly stated. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to students, talking about queer sex, using lube versus using spit. So this dean of students for this private school doesn't know he's being recorded. And he just says, yeah, our LGBTQ health center, which didn't know that was a thing, brings in sex toys and is describing how gay sex and queer sex takes place to children, to children. There's enough there from what I just read to where we can just go to the big takeaway. And this is going to sound familiar to you guys. Vetted private Christian school, homeschool. Because this is a private school, but obviously not Christian. Very much so of the atheist left. And again, guys, even if your kids are in a vetted private Christian school, this doesn't mean they're 100% completely safe, but you can assume something like this is not going to happen. At your local private Christian school, I'm assuming they're not going to bring in a pedophile to show sex toys to your children and encourage them to play with them as they describe why you would use lube instead of spit before you anally penetrate your boyfriend. Too rough? It's reality, guys. Deal with it. All right, next one here. The man potentially responsible for the Lockerbie bombing in 1988 was arrested over the weekend. So this is according to CNBC, a Libyan intelligence official accused of making the bomb that brought down the Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland in 1988 in an international act of terrorism has been taken into U.S. custody and will face federal charges in Washington, the Justice Department said Sunday. The arrest of Abu Angela Masoud Kir al-Marimi is a milestone in the decades-old investigation into the attack that killed 259 people in the air and 11 on the ground. American authorities in December 2020 announced charges against Masoud, 
who was in Libyan custody at the time. Though he is the third Libyan intelligence official charged in the U.S. in connection with the attack, he would be the first to appear in an American courtroom for prosecution. The New York-bound Pan Am flight exploded over Lockerbie less than an hour after takeoff from London on December the 21st of 1988. Citizens from 21 different countries were killed. Among the 190 Americans on board were 35 Syracuse students flying home for Christmas after a semester abroad. So my big takeaway on this one, well, I'll just say just quickly, I know some people that were part of this investigation. Obviously, it's a crazy terrorist attack that doesn't get enough play. Most people didn't even know this happened. But my big takeaway on this is that the U.S. intelligence apparatus can actually do some pretty cool stuff when they're not worried about spying on American citizens or trying to destroy the sitting president. I mean, just think about this. 1988, for over 30 years, they've been trying to track these people down. And they tracked down the guy that very, very likely made the bomb that killed all these people. Can you imagine? If the United States intelligence or the deep state apparatus only focused on finding people that have killed and maimed Americans. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? I want to live in that world someday. We'll see if we do. All right, next quick hitter here. The U.S. women's national soccer team stealing money from the U.S. men's national soccer team. So this is according to the New York Post. Under the equal pay agreement signed this year, the teams will split the prize money for the World Cup. That's this year's men's World Cup. That means that both teams will get $6.5 million for the men's team advancing to the round of 16 and will continue to split the prize money down the middle. The women's team, which has won the last two Women's World Cups, had long been advocating for equal pay, but without success. But it took a collective bargaining agreement and with buy-in from both the men and the U.S. Soccer Federation to achieve it. Okay, so let's talk about the word buy-in there that the New York Post used. By buy-in, they obviously mean that they were strong-armed by the threat of being called sexist bigots. Okay. So again, no one cares about women's soccer. And so the women's world cup basically doesn't make very much money. Okay. The men's world cup, everybody watches literally billions of people a year are watching the world cup right now. And they make way more money, like an astonishing level, more money because more people care to watch that sport. That's how the open marketplace works. But the U S women's national team, which is a fine uh, group of gals, you know, very, very successful, probably the most successful women's soccer country of all time. Great. So there you go. They literally strong armed these morons into giving them money for not playing. All of the women on the women's national team made hundreds of thousands of dollars to sit down on television and watch the World Cup. So my big takeaway on this is I guess it pays to base your arguments into, on delusions, right? Because you hear, you know, WNBA players, you know, why doesn't Brittany Griner get paid as much as LeBron James does? Uh, because no one watches the WNBA. Because the WNBA NBA loses millions of dollars a year, a year. And if they weren't given money by the NBA, they would have gone out of business two or three years into business. But sometimes it pays and it pays off for these ladies. All right, next one here, NBC News going full anti-natalist. Okay, so according to NBC News, this was the headline that they wrote. Science proves kids are bad for the earth. Morality suggests we stop having them. The subhead of the article is we need to stop pretending kids don't have environmental and ethical consequences. Okay. So guys, I'll put it in the show notes so you can read the entire article. And you know, I guess if you hate yourself, you'll spend the time reading that entire article. But my big takeaway on this one is it's strange. These anti-natalist people, these, these people that, you know, think that humanity is a scourge upon the earth. These people seem to never mean their kids. It's not their kids that are the problem. It's yours. Because if these people actually meant it, you'd assume that they would start the cleansing of the earth of humans in their own home. Because, you know, these people are like, oh, there's 8 billion people on the planet. That's way too many. Okay, which ones should we kill? 
Again, you're already killing, you know, the unborn ones. So which ones are the ones that are currently living outside the womb as opposed to inside the womb? Which ones do we kill? Can we start with your kids? Can we start with you? They're never down with that. So, you know, it's, it's a headline, but it, it's, you know, just basically undergirded by a foundation of BS. All right, last big hitter here, or quick hitter, big hitter. Maybe I'll call them big hitters in 2023. I'll consider it. All right, last one here. The government of New Zealand kidnapping a child because his parents requested no vaccinated blood for their baby surgery. So this is according to Not the Bee. This is kind of like the news version of the Babylon Bee. A baby boy in New Zealand who needed life-saving surgery was taken away from his parents because they demanded the hospital use blood from an unvaccinated individual in the transfusion for the heart surgery. The parents are against the untested COVID-19 vaccine and wanted their son to receive a transfusion only from unvaccinated blood. But the court in New Zealand ruled against the parents and police took the baby into temporary custody for the surgery. So insane story, not surprising coming from New Zealand, unfortunately, because it's a beautiful country. I love that country. But the big takeaway on this one is if we continue to be asleep at the wheel as voters, as people of faith, especially when it comes to our elections and the culture at large, We can expect things like this to start happening with alarming regularity in the United States. The government of New Zealand took custody of a child against the parents' wishes and did a blood transfusion to, you know, for a surgery to potentially save this child's life. And they went against the parents' request that they get unvaccinated blood. And it wasn't as if they didn't have unvaccinated blood available. They just decided, no, we're not going to let you do that. Guys. Elections have consequences. Your ideology and the, has downstream consequences. I mean, we've been talking about similar things for well over an hour at this point. Okay, so that's the last quick hitter. But as I promised, I do have a quick jujitsu story for all you jujitsu people out there. So last Tuesday, we're doing the 6 a.m. class. We start rolling about 5.45 a.m. It's the only class I, I've ever done where we roll four or five rounds at the beginning of class, and then we do the, the training. And so it's like, you, you better come and better be ready. You better be warmed up. And so one of my last rounds was with a guy that I love. He's one of our black belts. I'll leave his name out of this. But he's a big guy. Like this dude's a silverback. He's a gorilla, right? He, he goes to my church. This is just, this is a dangerous dude. Like, uh, you know, he works in law enforcement and he just, he's, a, he's an awesome, awesome guy, but he will freaking kill you. And so he and I are having this role. And again, I'm a purple belt. I'm about 40 pounds lighter than this guy. He's a black belt. I know what's going to happen, but we get into this role and I'm like, okay, with this guy, I'm going to just do what I can to move around as much as possible. And, and you know, try to make him work as much as possible and just try to survive. And so um, he's not giving me what I want for a single leg. And so I shoot a double leg. I didn't get far enough. He sprawled really, really well. You know, we're kind of, you know, messing around. He's in half guard, but then he passes my guard and then he goes to mount. But then I do a mount escape that I've been doing for a long time. It's kind of a close grip mount escape. And I end up getting out of mount. And then I get him into an awkward position where I thought I was about to get a takedown, didn't quite finish it. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, 30 seconds later, I'm mounted again. And I quit in my head. I didn't tap because I'd got mounted because, you know, only busters do that. I, I didn't, you know, quit and say, you know, I'm, you know, tap, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. But in my head, I just stopped. I stopped working. I stopped defending for about two or three seconds. And then in that moment, I realized, oh no, oh no, I'm not a quitter. I went back to that time in that white belt tournament when I talked about on this podcast, when I was in the absolute final against a guy that weighed 275 pounds, I yanked him into my side control because I'm an idiot and I quit mentally. And it took one of my teammates snapping me out of it because he was telling me a a particular move to defend because the guy was trying to do a bread cutter choke on me, right? But in this moment, for about two or three seconds, I quit. And then I decided for as much time there as there was left in the round, I think there was a minute and a half, maybe two minutes, that I was going to go nuts, that I was just going to give it literally everything I had. And I did. I did. 
So if you had scored our role, which you know most people don't score their roles, but if you had scored, because I was thinking back, he probably beat me 13 or 14 to nothing, right? I didn't score at all. He'd absolutely skumped me. He didn't submit me, but he absolutely destroyed me. But as soon as the round was over, we slap, bump, and he couldn't really get up. I, I dragged him into deep water. He drowned me, but I dragged him out there. And he took off the next round, but I didn't. And I'm not saying that to brag on myself, because again, I'm telling you that I got mauled by a silverback gorilla. I got skunked on the scorecard and I mentally quit. So I'm certainly not, you know, saying that I did something amazing here. But when I decided that I wasn't going to be a quitter, when I wasn't going to be that guy, that I was going to be resilient, I looked at the outcome. And for him, he took the next round off. He had to take a second because he was able to beat me, but he didn't want to roll with me again very quickly. Now, we rolled again yesterday, and it went about the same way, but it just kind of is what it is. But that's one of those lessons, guys. Whether you're doing jiu-jitsu or you're doing anything that's hard, you learn from those lessons. I'm going to remember this role for a very, very long time. I've rolled thousands of times in my life. There's only a few that I remember very, very specific things that happened. Typically, it's injuries. But this was a major learning lesson for me because I knew I quit. I got a little bit tired. I got a little bit mentally defeated, and I let it go from there. So, guys, don't be that person. If you're going to be able to push back darkness, you've got to be spiritually, mentally, and physically resilient. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost out on Daunted Life, as I just mentioned. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got the link here so you guys can check out the origin stuff that I talked about from the jump. That's geese, jeans, boots, protein, energy drinks, supplements, much more, hunting gear, all kinds of different stuff. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off your order. I've got links to the donation page on our website, and then I've got links to everything that I talked about on this particular episode. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Runs Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.